We'll go ahead and uh, get started here this evening. Uh, I know some of you are surprised to see my face here. You don't, some of you don't even know who I am, but uh, my name is Mark Snowberger. Your, your pastor is sick, and so he asked me uh, somewhat last minute to, uh, to fill in for him. And so that's, that's the plan. And uh, I have a handout here for you. Like I said, it was a little bit hastily put together. Uh, if it doesn't fill an hour, we'll let you out a little early. I, know, I never have any complaints when that happens, but <laughs> we'll, we'll see, how it ha- see how it unfolds here. Uh, let's go ahead. I, by the way, I'm, I'm, I teach at Detroit Baptist Seminary, go to Inner City Baptist Church in Allen Park. So that's the connection. We've, I've known your pastor for 25 years now, so... Uh, we go back a long ways. Okay, well, let's go ahead and start with a word of prayer, explain what we're planning to do tonight, and then go ahead and try and do it. Okay, Lord, we're grateful for your grace to us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the grand plan that is contained therein, uh, which uh, invites us to participate in your plan for the whole universe, uh, and specifically our part in it. Lord, I ask as we as we do this tonight that we would... Uh, uh, be uh, better uh, connected then with the with the Word of God. Understand where we are in the uh, in the unfolding, the progress of Revelation, uh, so that we may better read Your Word, uh, understand it, and apply it in the day in which we live. In Your name, we pray. Amen. Okay, uh, as you can see tonight, we're we're diverging from your 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 uh, your curriculum that you have uh, normally. I'll let uh, Pastor Ken keep teaching that. He has emphases that he wants to make, so I won't, I won't try and speak for him. But uh, he asked me if I would do something if that might supplement uh, what he's doing, complement what he's doing. And I'll try and do that tonight. And what we want to talk tonight about is, as you can see on the top here of your page, the Bible's unifying theme, the unifying center, how the Bible fits together. So you're trying to get the most out of your Bible, right? That's the, uh, the course title. And one of the things that I think can be particularly useful and helpful is to see the big picture. You know, why are we here? Why was the Bible given? What are we supposed to be doing? And those are the kinds of big general philosophy questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Right? And, and, uh, and so what we're trying to do is get a gigantic flyover of the Bible tonight and see if we can't fit ourselves within it and see how it all fits together in a, a unifying center, you know, something that, that holds all of the pieces together. And uh, last week, I believe you walked through the uh, creation, fall, redemption, consummation sequence, and it's an important one, of course. And it does much to explain the history of salvation within the biblical storyline. And of course, that's of great interest to us. We, we, we want to be on the right side of history when history ends, right? But the story of redemption is, isn't the totality of the Bible's message. Um, Adam and Eve, if I can put it this way, weren't created to be redeemed, okay? They needed to be redeemed after they sinned, but when they were created, they were not created with an intrinsic need to be redeemed. They weren't they weren't fallen yet. There was no need to save them in any sense because they, uh, they, they were not uh, unsaved at this point. They were, they were fitting in, ever so briefly, with God's plan, which was not a, an intrinsically redemptive one up front. Of course, when Adam and Eve sin, redemption becomes a very dominant theme in Scripture as the means of restoring mankind to their place within God's dominion. But we recognize that there's something more going on than just God saving people. And so we want to see if we can't uh, 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 capture uh, the whole of the Bible's message uh, tonight. And I start by saying here that the Bible teaches that whatever God does is always for his own glory. Okay, so... If, if we want to say, is, the, is, there a, is there a purpose for the universe, a goal for the universe? Well, yes, there is. The glory of God. Okay? Uh, and so we, we want to bring God glory. He exists of himself and for himself. Right? Romans 11, uh, 36, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. 
Uh, also, 1 Corinthians 15, 28. We recognize that there is a day when all things will be subdued under him and God will be all in all. Uh, Colossians 1.16, all things were created by him and for him. So we're pursuing the glory of God, and I define that here as taking the form of praise, honor, worship, enhancement uh, from all that God has created, but especially personal beings. There's a handout at the back there if you want to grab one of them for yourself. Okay, so this glory uh, is especially received from personal beings, rational beings, those who have a mind, a will, affections. And so that's, that's, the, that's the principal uh, subject, uh, uh, means whereby God receives glory. But he, but he receives glory by other means as well, from everything that he has made. Okay? That glory, I say, is always realized. God always receives glory, period. There's no, there's no exceptions to that. God always receives glory from everybody, even from those who are not willing to glorify God. They still glorify God. We, we recognize, for instance, that there are within this world, Romans 9 says, there are vessels of wrath that are destined for destruction, and these alert us, for instance, to the holiness and righteousness of God, and we become alerted to the fact of what God is like based on the wrath that goes that that abides on the disobedient. And so we learn something about God that we probably couldn't have known other than from a situation like that. So there are vessels of wrath who bring glory to God in sort of a backwards way, and then there's vessels of mercy who bring glory to the the graciousness and the mercy of God. And uh, I like to think that everyone in this room has been a recipient, not only of general mercies and grace, but God's saving grace. Okay? And so we recognize that those who receive God's saving grace are willingly glorifying God, but everybody brings glory to God. In fact, you know, the, uh, the conclusion of that, that passage in Philippians 2 where Christ has been... Has been has been brought down. You know, he comes down from heaven. He is, he, is, he is submitted to all kinds of torture and ultimately death, but that's reverse, right? And what's the conclusion of that? Okay, every tongue, every tongue, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, which I would understand to be a reference here to those who have gone on to eternal perdition, will, will, will honor him as God and glorify him as God. And so everyone will bring glory to God, even those who are not redeemed. So it just sort of alerts us to the fact that there is a group of people, the non-redeemed, who are bringing God glory in a way that we perhaps don't normally want to think about, but they are bringing him glory. And so there's a, there's a broader scope, a broader means whereby God receives glory. Of course, I say here that the ideal is to glorify God in righteousness, okay? And that's, that's the goal. So we, we, want to, we want to be rightly related to God, recipients of his mercy, made right through the blood of Jesus Christ, so that we may glorify God willingly, inclined towards him, and, and such. And so we, we tend to think that that's the only way, but we find that there is a broad, uh, broadness, a breadth, uh, to God's glory that exceeds those who are saved. The question then, is there something that ties all of these means whereby God receives glory uh, together? Is there something that can comprehend all of God's attitudes and activities external to himself, that is, within the whole universe? And what we're going to look here is for, for God's purpose, that is, his glory, to be reduced or expressed uh, according to certain prescribed means, a practical plan for achieving God's glory. How is it that we get in line with God's program and bring him glory in the means, in the way that he has, has, has clearly told us he intends for us to glorify him? Okay. 
So I have a big idea here for the evening, and that is that God's unifying plan for achieving this goal of his glory is by establishing a rule of righteous sovereignty and holy fellowship with the people of his choosing and to dwell with them forever. So that's, that's what we're trying to defend. This is, this, is, this is the thing that ties it all together. So you can see here there's a need for righteous fellowship to satisfy God's person and purposes. Okay, so we're, we're all about justice, right? But justice as defined in Scripture, right? Uh, justice that is, uh, that, that is something that conforms to the righteous standard which God has established. Okay, and so that's, that's the only way we can become part of this community here of God's choosing with whom he will dwell forever. And that is to be rendered righteous uh, by the by the, uh, by the uh, sacrifice of Jesus Christ that is embraced uh, on, by us. And so that's, that's justification, that's our regeneration. But then there's also here an administrative program, if I can call it that. I'll call it the kingdom here, uh, recognizing that kingdom is used multiple ways in the scripture and sometimes is abused within the church because we sometimes fail to uh, catch some of those nuances of that, of that term. But there is a kingdom uh, in which God's people find their respective roles in glorifying him. But, but this kingdom program, as we're going to see here, actually is not monolithic. It just, it, it's not all the same throughout history. There, are, there is a, there is a, a fabric uh, whereby people glorify God, and it doesn't always look exactly the same. And that's part of the part of the goal here is to show how the kingdom program of God is designed to have contours, and we need to find our way through them. Okay, so we want to make sure that we have here a a uh, this uh, uh, this unifying theme here that has this idea that I will be their God, they will be my people, and I will dwell among them. We're going to see this spelled out and, and teased out as we work our way through the scripture. So the relationship began with man uh, being created in the image of God. Okay, eventually, uh, the, this, this original arrangement here is expressed in terms of covenants, uh, whereby God's people uh, were to conduct themselves. And there is a promise here, established multiple times, that God is eventually going to make his place among us. I will dwell among them, I will be their God, and they will be my people. I think it starts out in seed form with Adam and Eve in the garden, and apparently uh, each, each evening uh, uh, God would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, and they would have conversations, and they would have been I would, rich conversations. I would love to have known what was, <laughs> what was, what was talked about during those things. And so we have this, this fellowship that uh, begins here uh, between Adam and Eve and their God on a daily basis. But this is broken, of course, when Adam sins. Adam and Eve uh, together uh, eat of the forbidden fruit. They want to be like God. And I think uh, not just knowing the difference between good and evil or knowing experientially even uh, what evil is, but, but actually being able to determine for themselves what is good and what is evil. Uh, so they want to be like God in that sense. They want to decide what's right and what's wrong. And this is, of course, the essence of all sin, uh, replacing God with ourselves. And we, we want to be the arbiters of what's right and wrong. And we live in a society where those things are just, terribly mixed up sometimes, right? You know, the good and evil. Uh, and people are advocating thing, uh, advocating as, as evil that which is good and good that which is evil. And we see it all the time in our, in our in politics and such, okay? But there is from, you know, from that point forward a means given whereby one may have fellowship with him. It begins uh, rather simply with a confession uh, that Adam and Eve make and some, and some means whereby God gives them you know, uh, 
uh, first gospel, right? There's, there's going to be a solution to this problem. Believe this. And this fellowship can at least be restored to a degree. Now, the fellowship isn't ultimately restored until the eternal state, but it can be restored in degree. And as you work your way through, you actually find that there's, there's a number of structures that are added to that. In fact, uh, within, within the Israelite community, there was a tabernacle, and then later a temple, and the purpose of that, those were to be a meeting place. In fact, the, the tab or tabernacle, technically, if you, if you interpret the word that's translated tabernacle in your Bibles, it's the tent of meeting. Okay? So it's a, that's, that's, it's, that's its purpose. So they could meet with God and be with him, and he will be their God, and they would be his people. Okay? So that was the goal. And in fact, remember when, uh, when uh, the, te the temple was built, you know, the temples uh, of the day for the gods would have been built for the purpose of housing the gods, and the sacrifices would have been there for the purpose of feeding the gods. But God says, I, I don't want you to be confused into understanding that that's what this temple is for. And as you, as you read through Psalm 50 and, and uh, through some of the material in Chronicles, you recognize that God says, I, I don't need food. If, if I was hungry, and I'm not, but if I was, I'd simply pluck one of those cattle on a thousand hills and eat it. Okay? I, I don't need a place to live. I, I don't need a house. Okay? But I do want a place where I can meet with you in appropriate ways. And so we find here that this glory cloud descends from, uh, from, from heaven, representative of the presence of God, and it dwelt there, right, in that, in that temple. And uh, so it was a place where you could go and be right with God. Okay? And so this, this, unfortunately, as you work your way through Ezekiel, you find that there's a day when, uh, while their backs were turned, right, uh, while the, the priests back return and they were worshiping another god, the Shekinah glory comes up out of the, the temple, lingers on the, uh, on the hillside, and then disappears into heaven. And we find that this place of meeting uh, becomes rather hollow. They still meet there. Uh, they, you know, Dave, Daniel even you know, sends his prayers to the, to the bare rock where the temple used to be. Because this is they, they, they anticipate this day when there will be a restored presence of God where they can meet with him. But, uh, but it's, it's, it's gone. And uh, while there is a sense in which uh, that has been restored, it's different now, right? The, the, the presence of God is within each one of us, you know, the, uh, the indwelling spirit. And so we come together and uh, we, we share in the presence of God as believer priests, uh, but even there we recognize that this is not everything it's supposed to be, right? There's, there's going to be something better, there's going to be something more, but this is the goal, okay? This is, this is the goal which starts with Adam and Eve, is illustrated here in the temp temple and the tabernacle, illustrated in the church, and then we find uh, that, uh, you know, Revelation 21 and 22, that the, the city of God comes down from heaven and uh, there's this announcement here, now the tabernacle of God is among men, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Okay? And so we find, finally see uh, the day when this is realized eternally. Okay? And so, and so the, this, 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 two, this relationship is, is, is the goal here of what God is planning to do. Um, and this... And this kingdom program then encompasses not only, though, uh, that with the, those, those people, but also everything that God has created. I say here the original creation. Uh, creation was ultimately designed for man. It culminated in the creation of man, the image of God. And the image of God enables man to enjoy creation. That was what it was made to do. Enjoy God's creation, cultivate God's creation. He's given a mandate called the Dominion Mandate, where he is told to take what is here, the raw material, and create something as 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 as, as representatives of God Himself. We're the kings of the earth, 
uh, uh, Psalm 8 says. And so the goal here is for us to, uh, to, to, to build, effectively, a comprehensive kingdom for him, with all the contours, not, not only religious, but also uh, physical uh, and material, economic and industrial, all of these things. And that, that, that was the goal for which God created mankind. Of course, it becomes difficult then, and so uh, we find uh, that the creation is designed for that, uh, but it, in fact, resists every effort of mankind in order to, to accomplish this. We also find that in this kingdom program, the, the permission of the fall and the provision of, rem, uh, of redemption find their place as well as major themes of the Bible, but again, not the totality of that theme. Um, we also find that the whole world, including that which is impersonal and irredeemable, is included here. So reducing God's plan to a rescue operation for wandering people, I think, does injustice to the rest of God's world. Angels, for instance. A huge number of them, right? 10,000 times 10,000, thousands and thousands. So just an enormous number of these angels outnumbered humans for a long time, make up an enormous throng of God's created beings. They relate to God, but not through redemption, right? You know, Hebrews 2, 14 to 16 says, you know, it is not angels that God redeems. Okay? And, and, and he explains here that he does not become an angel, and so therefore does not redeem angels. He becomes a human, and so therefore can redeem humans, and yet angels still have a place within God's universe. Okay. They, have, they have rank, they have a place, they have a purpose within God's universe. And we want to make sure that we include them, too. Animals, trees, rocks as well, can't be redeemed in the normal sense of the word. Uh, still, all of God's creative universe finds its place under the rule of God. And then even those who are not redeemed, as we saw, even those who are under the earth. Uh, uh, will will give glory to God. They will find themselves aligned under God's righteous sovereignty. Objects of his wrath, but rightly so. Okay, And so we find, we find even those are subsumed under this, this rubric of God's rule. And then even in the final consummation, when, when everything is made right, right, and we're all the tears are going to be wiped away, and there's going to be no more sin, no more sadness, and it's going to be a place of bliss. Does that mean everything's done because those who are redeemed are redeemed and those who are not are not? No, I, th I think we've got a, a whole eternity whereby we will continue to bring more and more glory to God as time passes. Now, exactly what that's going to look like, I, I, I think a lot of it's invisible to us. We don't know. We'll discover it as, as, we, as we get there. Uh, but it's, again, redemption then is not the center of what's going on. It's, it's going to be the foundation of what we're doing in heaven, but it's not going to be the totality. There's not going to be anyone new. There's no new redemption taking place, uh, but we will still be bringing glory to God continuously and more and more as time passes. Okay, so we want to make sure that we include here in this unifying center more than just the fact that God is saving people. Huge theme, of great interest to us, right? I mean, we're people. We want to be saved. Okay, we want to be part of this community of the redeemed. But we have to recognize that there's more going on than just God saving people. So let's see if we can't see how this is implemented. Uh, according to what I'm going to call here two interrelated governments of God that unfold according to a series of a divine administrations. Now, I, I've resisted using the word dispensations, but uh, this is what I mean by that. So an administration within God's kingdom program. Uh, we talk about uh, administrations within American politics, right? We talk about the Reagan administration and the Obama administration and the Biden administration. What do we mean by that? Well, we're not saying that there, you know, every four years we get a new country, okay? 
But it does mean that every four years there's going to be, a, a, there's going to be nuances. There's going to be changes. There's go, and, and, and in effect, we can look at that and say, okay, the country's adjusted a little bit here. We're in a new administration. And while certain things stay the same, certain things change on us. That, that gives contour uh, to, the, uh, to the world in which we live. And, and God's administration is similar, right? It's not, it's not uniform. There's actually some contours as, as, as it goes through. And we're going to discover here that there are effectively two spheres in which God governs. And I'm going, I say there's two interrelated governments of God, and I'm, I'm going to put it this way. I'm going to put it the uh, civic realm, and I'm going to say the, uh, we'll, we'll call it the redemptive realm. I haven't written with chalk for a long time. Okay, so, okay, so what, what I want to see here is that God's program has more than than just redemption in view, it also has civic concerns. So let's start with the first administration, which is the Adams administration, sometimes called Dispensation of Innocence. I don't like that name here, but I called it here the original state from the creation to the fall. Okay? So if, if we're thinking about that, what happens, what, what kind of instruction are we given in Genesis 1 and 2? Which, which sphere? Civic, right? There, there's, there's no need for redemption yet because it hasn't, no one's fallen, okay? And so all of the instruction here takes the form of civic instruction. And so you have what we might call the dominion mandate, right? Uh, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, rule over it. And, and, and the language here is, you know, and, and rule over the animals, rule over every creeping thing, Rule over you know the trees and the rocks you know and 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 so 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 the the goal here I think included there are all the all the disciplines of modern science right okay so we're we're supposed to you know, engage in agriculture and horticulture you know raise plants you know build the garden expand the garden we're supposed to take advantage of the animals the zoological sciences that are all there for us. Uh, and yet, they bring glory to God. Okay, we're supposed to take advantage of the other resources, you know, the, the, the rocks and the minerals and the, and the oils and all the other things that are, that are abundant in the world. So we're supposed to take all of those things and we're supposed to, you know, we're supposed to build, okay? And we find evidence that this happens rather rapidly, right? Uh, uh, early on, uh, we find that... Uh, uh, just a couple of generations after Adam, we have these, we have them building musical instruments. Uh, there, there's actually the word iron is used, which is just a stunning word, because we you know, we generally say that the Iron Age doesn't begin until about a thousand BC, but apparently these people were pretty smart. They learned how to make really hot fires. That's I mean that's how you make iron, right? You have to yeah. You have to have really hot fire in order to take the raw material, the iron ore, and turn it into something useful. But they had figured it out early on. So they were glorifying God, right? They were glorifying God moving forward, carrying out the dominion mandate. They're being fruitful. They're multiplying. There are, they're, they're, they are, they're multiplying the worshipers of God. Okay, and so they're building a mighty kingdom, and God is very pleased with what he sees. I, I, I have to think that that's going to be at least part of what we're going to be doing for all of eternity. Okay? That we, we are going to continue to build an increasingly robust culture and society to the glory of God. Okay? I don't know what, I, again, I don't know the details, don't know what for, form it's going to take, but I, I think we're going to be doing more than just sitting around singing. I think singing is going to be an important part of what we're going to be doing, but we're going to be doing more than that. We're going to be bringing glorify, glory to God by carrying out, ultimately, the dominion mandate in ways that we can't even imagine right now. Okay? Of course, Adam sins, and so everything sort of blows apart, right? And so, so now, now what do we do? Well, God comes down and 
the age of conscience begins, runs from the fall to the flood. So God says, okay, we're, we're, we're still moving forward with this, but there's going to be some changes, okay? We find changes, and now, we, now we've got both of these realms in view, okay? So the civic realm still moves forward. You're still supposed to be doing all of those things in terms of the dominion mandate, but it's going to be hard now, right? Yeah, you're supposed to, you're supposed to raise families, but dad's not going to be very nice to mom, and mom's not going to be very submissive to dad. And the ground itself is going to resist your attempts to, to, to do the work. There's going to be thorns and thistles. It's just going to be hard. It's just going to be really hard to carry out the dominion mandate, and, and, it's, and it's only going to be done poorly. But there is also given here, if I may, a, a, a very important promise. Okay, and some, I'll, 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 I'll put a P here. It's sometimes called the Proto-Evangelium, the, the first gospel. Okay? There's a promise made in Genesis chapter 3, verses 15 and 16 that there is going to be coming a day when this serpent that brought all of this sin into this world is going to have his head crushed. Okay? Now, along the way, there is going to be a, a, a damage done, you know, the bruised heel of this descendant of Adam and Eve is going to have a bruised heel, but the serpent's going to be crushed. And there's going to be a solution to the sin problem. And apparently Adam and Eve believe this, right? Uh, because the very next, next words out of Adam's mouth are, kind of, are actually kind of funny. Because you, you would expect him to say, wow, I mean, this is, this is amazing. But he says, you know, I'm going to name Eve. Name my wife Eve. And he say, were you listening, Adam? <laughs> you're, you're, it's, you, you almost feel like he's just, mm-hmm, yeah, I'm going to give a name to my... But no, I think what he's saying... He, I'm going to name her Eve because she's going to be the mother of life. She's going, she's going to restore that which was lost. And her seed, she's going to be the mother of the source of life. Okay? And, uh, and even Eve uh, seems to indicate when Cain is born that she's very hopeful that this might be immediately the solution. Now, she's quite wrong on that. But, but there's the hopefulness uh, that uh, her seed is going to be the solution. So what, what do you have to do in this, in, this, in this dispensation, this administration? Well, up here, you do the same thing you always did. It's just going to be harder. Okay. Down here, there's a requirement. You have to believe the promise of God. Okay. You, you, you have to believe that, in fact, there is going to be a Redeemer that is going to come from the seed of the woman who is going to make things right. Now, at this point, it's a little bit vague. They don't know the details. Uh, but, they, but they are believing these promises that would eventually be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And, and in that simple act of faith, they could be restored uh, to a place of fellowship with God. And he, and he comes back, and he, he has conversations with them regularly. Uh, uh, perhaps not quite so regularly as previously, but he makes his dwelling among them. He, he actually has conversations, and we find... Recorded there in Genesis 1 to Genesis 3, 4, 5, and 6, uh, occasions where God comes and comes in, sets things straight, you know, fixes the problem that Cain has when he kills Abel, comes and talks to Noah. And so we find that God is, is restored to some sort of a conversation uh, with his people. Okay? And so all, all of this happens in the second dispensation. Now we, uh, we move on for a while. Okay, and so the rule of God here is by direct conversations, but it does seem like there's, there's something invisible going on as well, right? Which is why sometimes we call it the age of conscience. Uh, the reason we call it that is because when we come to the end of this age, right before the flood, in Genesis 6, verse 3, God makes the announcement, I am not, my spirit is no longer going to strive in the consciences of men I am actually going to make some changes here. So this is where this, this name conscience comes from because uh, we, one follows one's conscience here. This is the means whereby God is ruling his world. Okay? Man is the representative king of the earth. He's described that way in, in, in Psalm 8, verse 6. He is the king. He is the king of the world. He's, he's God's 
vice-regent on earth. He stands for God here in, 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 in developing the world. But things, again, fall apart. Things are really declining here. And so we find that man is, uh, becomes very incorrigible. They become very wicked, almost universally wicked, because God sees that all the thoughts of, the, the, of man's heart were only evil continuously. So you've got these superlatives there. And so he says, okay, we're going, we're going to migrate to the next age here, the next dispensation, next administration, which is the age of human government. Okay? Now, where are we going to put that one? Okay. Well, like I say, there's probably some information for both spheres, but primarily we find that the Noahic covenant is, is again, in line with the dominion mandate. In fact, much of the dominion mandate is repeated after the flood, chapter 9, uh, almost word for word. Uh, much of the dominion mandate is established, but then there's additions made, right? Okay. What are the additions? Okay, well, there, there, there is sacrifice that takes place, not so much a command, I mean, it, it, it happens, but what are, what are the new commands, what are the new structures that are put in place? Justice. Okay, how? By the blood of, you know, man's blood is shed, so shall his blood be shed. Right, so, okay, so, so rather than God stepping in every time a Cain kills an Abel, what's going to happen? Yeah, we're, we're going to stand in for God, okay? Because in the image of God, God made us. And so we are the ones who are, are appropriately uh, equipped by God to take this role of governing ourselves. And so we find here that pretty much everything continues, but, but now the, the expansion is made, okay? You're supposed to obey the government now. Okay, and, and I think when it, when it gives us the permission for capital punishment, if someone kills someone by, by collective man, his blood will be shed because capital punishment uh, for, uh, for capital crimes probably is not to be thought of, that's the only thing that we're allowed to do, but rather this is an argument from the greater to the lesser. And so I think we have broad powers given to man collectively to govern themselves. Okay. Uh, and so the, the, the human government is given the permission uh, to exist and given broad, broad authority here. Okay? Not a whole lot uh, changes here in terms of redemption. Still believe the promises as they're given. There, there doesn't seem to be much of an expansion here, if any, uh, that takes place. Uh, still can be right with God, but there's not really much new here. And so this continues on here until we get to Abraham. Okay, I'm going to put Abraham down here, uh, although probably not as cleanly here. In some ways, we're sort of migrating towards center here. Okay, so this age of promise takes place. Okay, and so we find from Abraham until Sinai that there is a, an expansion of the promises originally given. And not only that, we actually see a people of God, if I may, a chosen people of God that is, that is established at this point. Okay, and so we find here uh, that God, uh, in terms of relating to him, is to be pro approached via animal sacrifices, places made sacred by divine appearings. And so we find uh, that there's, 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 there's these sacrifices are made, anticipate, they anticipate the uh, explanation that is made uh, under the law, but we find this, this taking place. Uh, we find that the, the, the promise is expanded, the, or perhaps we could say narrowed, okay? The promise that is the generally... Uh, an offspring of Eve, we find, is going to come out of Abraham. And as we work our way through Genesis, uh, we find that it's through Isaac and through Jacob and then through Judah. Okay, so the, we have this narrowing here of the promise. And so there's an anticipation that these are the seed bearers. Okay, and so, and so this, this anticipation begins to grow. There is going to, this, this, this promise is taking contours. It's starting to take shape, okay? Now, in terms of the rule of God, not a whole lot changes, if I may, 
in, 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 the broad, in the broad sense. It's not as though Abraham becomes the king of the world at this point. Okay? It's not as though he's promoted to king of the world. In fact, very few people even know about him right up front. Right? It takes a, quite, a, quite an event here, you know, a huge battle, the Melchizedek incident, uh, in order to, for him to even be well known uh, within uh, the ancient, ancient world. Uh, and so God, he's not made the king of the world. I think the people of the world are still supposed to do what they've always done. You know, they're supposed to cluster together, uh, create, uh, create kingdoms, create uh, clans, uh, whereby they can carry out the dominion mandate in the civic sphere. Okay? Okay. Uh, Abraham is doing this as well, but just as a clan leader. Now, a special clan leader but another clan leader. We're go, we're going, it's, it doesn't until Moses that we actually find things really start to uh, migrate into something very, very new. Okay? Okay, and so we find here, for instance, that um, Melchizedek, during this period, is making sacrifices for the people of his city, Salem. We find that Job is making sacrifices for his children. He lives in the land of Uz. Uh, it's hard to know exactly who he is. He's probably a contemporary of Abraham, does not seem to be a relative of Abraham. But he's, he's, a, he's a godly patriarch, someone who follows God and establishes a, a clan, and he, and he functions as their, as their priest, as it were. And so we find this, and, uh, and so the, the, the promise here is made that there's a blessing that is going to be achieved through Abraham. And so the one thing that does change up here is you just don't, you just don't continue on oblivious to the fact that this happened. Okay. You have to honor Abraham and his seed. And I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in him, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Okay. So you could be not a part of this community, and still be right with God, as long as you were right with Abraham. You could find blessing uh, through Abraham, through your relationship to Abraham. Now, what happens now is, is, a, is a rather interesting thing, is because we have the civic and the redemptive spheres just sort of merge into one under, I'll call it Moses, I'll call it the Mosaic Law, so ML, okay? And so we find here the first, if I may, experiment. Experiment's the wrong word. It almost makes it sound like God is experimenting. He knows exactly what he's doing. But, but we, we find this first iteration, let's put it that way. A, a, a first iteration where these two come together. The civic and the redemptive realm. And it takes place under the Mosaic law. Okay? How, one, how one can be right with God is all wrapped up and tied up together with how you run the country, okay? And it's all merged together under this, under the rubrics and instructions of the Mosaic Law. How could one be right with God? Well, effectively the same way, although there does seem to be this expectation that those who are right with God are going to follow the forms, not as a means of salvation, but as a demonstration that one, in fact, has bought in. I mean, we have something the same thing in our, in our day, right? We, we, have, we have communion. In fact, it's once a month, I think, right? Or is, that, is that what you do? Once a month? Quarter. Once a quarter, okay. Uh, so, and, and what do you do there? Do you, do you get saved every quarter? No, no, but, but, you, but you demonstrate that, in fact, that you have bought in, and it's very important for you to maintain the community, okay? And so these sacrifices would have had something of a similar role of saying, I'm, I'm part of a community. Now, we recognize that we're coming together. This, this covenant community, the Mosaic covenant community, is not a redeemed people. In fact, we were talking about that earlier. Um, the church, we understand to be a redeemed people of God. You're only supposed to be a member of a church if you've been vetted by the church and they have determined that, in fact, you have embraced Jesus Christ by faith and have become a recipient of his redemptive blessings. Okay, but that's not true here in the, in the Mosaic period. So, and that, that proves to be the problem, right? In fact, we, we find in Hebrews that, that that's the great problem with the Old Covenant. There's no means of redemption that is, that is, that is 
that is nested within it. There are people here who are part of this community who are not right with God in an absolute sense. They might be part of the community, they might be following some of the rules, but they're not right with God in an ultimate sense. And it we find here, for, for a period of time, these, the civic and the redemptive run together. Now, I'll, I'll keep a sort of a dotted line up here, because there are still nations that are rightly bringing glory to God by building nations of their own. Okay, it's not as though they're doing something wrong out there. Okay. But these people here are God's chosen community. Not a redeemed community, but a chosen community. A place in which we find that you know, there, there is a lot of special grace ongoing, uh, but not in an, in an absolute sense. And so we find here that there is no separation of church and state in Israel. Okay? Uh, in order to be right with God, you had to be right with your community. In order to be right with your community, you had to be right with God. And so there was this, this, sort of this, this merging and, and mixing of these things. Okay, this is all going to change when Christ comes, right? After Christ leaves, effectively. He actually says, we're not going to do it this way anymore. You're going to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. What? I guess I should say Caesar, the things that are Caesar, to God the things that are God's. And we find that those happen in disparately. Okay? Which is why we have, uh, when we come to uh, the church, of course, Baptists are a, a big proponent then of what? The separation of church and state, right? Because we actually find that this civic is, is renewed, much in the way it was, but, but, the, but the redemptive community is, is sort of singled out. This is, so we have the church who renders to God the things that are God, and this is the realm of Caesar, whereby one renders to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Okay? And, and we keep them separate because we don't want to mix the two, right? And, 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 and I know that this is something very important in your, in, in your pastor's mind, and I think rightly so, is that we don't want the church doing the government stuff, nor do we want the government doing the church stuff. Okay? We want to keep those distinct. And I know he sometimes, you know, sort of, puts the hammer down and says, you know, maybe there's some things that aren't church conversations or things that should dominate church life because when we're here, we're, not, we're in a little microcosm here of, 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 of a redeemed community who is doing God's spiritual work chiefly to go make disciples of the nations, teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and I am with you until the end of the age which, again, is going to be a time of change as well. Okay, So how is one right with God? Well, one's right with God by believing not just the promises, but actually now the fulfillment of those promises, because, you know, the, the cross stands here. So it's not just sort of a, a vague uh, faith in God and in the promises that he has made that will ultimately be fulfilled in Jesus Christ, but actually faith in Jesus Christ. And so the specificity becomes even narrower. Okay? In order to be rightly related to God, in a redemptive sense, you have to embrace the truths of the Christian gospel. Christ died for our sins, buried, rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Okay? And so we, we keep these separate. And it's, it, and it's a challenge for us in, in, in both ways. It's, it's a challenge not to take over the government's responsibilities, because the government does things really badly, right? And so it, there's, this, there's this sense that we need to sort of step in as the church and sort of direct things in the right direction. And we have to resist that, because that's not, that's not, our, that's not our purpose as the church. Now, you want to be as good a citizen as possible in this sphere, right? You want to be a good neighbor. You want to be a good worker. You want to, you want to be a generous person. You want to be a good parent, right? Now, all of these things ha happen in the civil sphere, the realm of Caesar, and you want to do them well there. But don't confuse doing well in that sphere with doing this. Okay? You have to do both. Okay? And so we, we have these two aspects of God's dominion uh, that are teased out again. Now, what happens at the end? Well, we come back together again, much like they had in the Mosaic Law, only better, right? Because we've got the New Covenant, 
that is instituted. And this new covenant is based on better principles, much better principles than these, right? Okay. And chiefly, we find that everyone who gets into the millennium is actually a believer. Anybody who's not a believer, it's a goat, right? The goats get taken out, killed. Okay. And so the only ones who get into the millennium are, are redeemer, redeemed, and so there's abundant salvation here during this millennium. And we find that, again, the realm of Caesar and the realm of God are merged because God's the new Caesar, a much better Caesar, right? God is the king, right? And so we find that, the, that here is where we have the kingdom, okay? So the kingdom uh, takes, takes place. And so the, the kingdom is the best uh, representation. It's still not the ideal because there are sins that persist. There are new people that are born during this pe period who are not even believers. There's a rebellion at the end of uh, people who are gathered together and uh, come under the spell of Satan once again, and they rebel uh, again. Uh, but for the most part, during this, during this kingdom, everything is restored, right? So, so it's, it's, it's restored to, like I say, I, I always say near Edenic conditions, not completely Edenic. It's not exactly what Eden is like, but something awfully close, right? We find that there's going to be all kinds of agricultural benefits. The, the, the plowman is going to be overtaken by the reaper. Obviously, a little bit of hyperbole there, but, but the idea is it's going to be, things are just going to be going, growing so quickly and so well that there's, that, that there's going to be abundance of food, okay? No one will go hungry. There will be no sickness. Uh, it, Psalm 93, God will give his angels charge over you so they won't even stub your toe. Okay? And I think that during this period, during this kingdom, their ordinary hazards are going to be done away with. Uh, every sphere of life, even, 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 the, uh, even the, the weather is going to cooperate. Uh, and, and we find that every piece of God's universe is going to start to align. And so, uh, again, it's not quite Eden, but awfully close. Things are going to, things are going to become uh, quite, uh, uh, quite pleasant in carrying out the, the, the purposes of God in the universe. And so, what, what do we do with all that? Okay? Where do we find ourselves? And where are we reading in the scriptures? Because okay, it, it makes a difference, right? If we find instructions here, for instance, those are not necessarily the instructions that are here because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different administration. Okay? So the rules that are given here are specific to this community and to these people, and we find that in order to apply them, there's a little work to be done, right? Sometimes there's not an absolute correspondence between the rules here and how we live here. You know, how many of you have a fence around your roof so you don't fall off your roof? Well, you're, you're, not, you're not in violation of God's expectations. If you, if you don't, uh, because things have changed. And so you have to recognize as you work your way through that we're, we're in a progressing storyline that, that's going to affect how we read these sections, how we apply these sections, and how we live right here, and what we can anticipate. So if we, if we can keep all of that in view, I think we are... We are we are rendered more capable of understanding, you know, what, what, what's, the, what's the name of the class here? Uh, keeping, our, keeping our Bible, getting, getting more out of our Bibles than we had been previously. So, so questions, thoughts on this? I have a question. Yeah. So when we look along the top line, civic, obviously yeah. it's separated from redemption, and what we're saying with the administrations that are in the redemption line that those are the administrations, not necessarily the redeemed peoples. Right, yeah. That, that, and we were talking about that before, before class. There are, there are those who want to see a single redeemed people of God as the theme going all the way through. But, but there's, there's so many differences and changes that go on, it's hard to make that kind of 
continuity between, say, Israel and the church. Israel is a largely unredeemed community. The church is supposed to be an entirely redeemed community. And so while there are believers in both, and they're all, they're all part of, broadly speaking, the redeemed people of God, we find, to use the words of, of Jesus in, in the Gospels, that I have sheep who are not of this fold. Okay, So he's talking, there, there are those who are in Israel, this is one sheepfold, in which there are sheep that know his voice and follow him. But there's other sheepfolds, okay, and, and I think he's anticipating here the expansion of the, uh, of, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the evangel to the Gentiles. These are the new folds in which we find, the new sheepfolds in which we find additional sheep. And so there, there is, I think, broadly speaking, a, community, a large community of the redeemed, but we don't actually see it in any one place until, until we get here, right? I don't know if that's helping. Yeah, so I'm just thinking, like, you mentioned Job. Yeah. Right? So Job is before the administration of the Mosaic Law, and he's not, maybe a contemporary, contemporary of Abraham, he's not necessarily saved through Abraham, it's only because of what happened through Abraham that he can be saved. Right. Is that right. Yeah, and, and, and it, assuming they were contemporaries and they knew of each other, Job would have been deferring to, to Abraham and give, give, you know, honored him. But, but yeah, Job would have been part of uh, another sheepfold. Probably a pretty small one, but, okay. but another sheepfold. Other thoughts? Questions? Yes, sir. Just a question of clarity. So the Mosaic Law you have in between civic and redemptive. Is that because, do we situate that in the middle here because it's not fully civic and it's not fully redemptive? Actually, it's, it's both. That, that, it, so like I say, when, once we get to the kingdom... There's going to be one king who's going to be in charge not only of how the government works, but how worship works. So there's one guy. He's there. In fact, the language in Zechariah that there will be there there will be two offices and they will be occupied by the same person, right? And so we have that in microcosm here, but it it there's a problem. Too many people are not believers, and so it founders. But ideally. It's, this, this, is, this is an anticipation of that day. This, this, is, the, this is the first time that the, the kingdom is, it's, it's actually called the kingdom. Okay? In fact, the church is never really called the kingdom. In fact, it's, some would say it's sort of, in, it's, there's a term to use, the interregnum. It's between the kingdoms. Okay? So there's this failed kingdom. Uh, but then there's this renewed kingdom. And they have some continuity, but not identity. Just to follow up then, so we would say that the Mosaic Law is perfectly civic, but is it imperfectly redemptive? Well, no, it's perfectly both. I mean, it, it does everything it's supposed to do. The problem is the people. The, it, it's, the, it's the ones who are ruled that are the problem. Okay. So insofar as somebody perfectly follows the Mosaic Law, it's perfectly redemptive? In, in theory. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nobody does, right? Depravity, but uh, yeah, there's, there's some debate as to how that, there's a, there's a passage in Levitic that says that do all of these things and you will live. And so there's some debate. Does, does that mean I'll just live a long time on the earth or does it mean I'll live forever? And in, in, some, in some ways I, 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 I look at that and say, well, it's true that if you could keep those law, that law perfectly, you would live forever, but you, know, you, you, you missed that a long time ago. <laughs> it, it never happened. Only one person has ever kept the law perfectly, and so we have to align ourselves with him. So, I guess i got a quick question. Uh -huh. do, you, do you believe that the church has replaced Israel? Well, I mean, it is, it is, it is the new administrative vehicle, sure. but, it's, but it's not the same thing. They're different. No, I, mean, I mean, as far as, like, do you believe, like, from the Old Testament? Like, I know a lot of people, something that I've just relatively yeah. stumbled, or just recently stumbled on, um, in Jeremiah 3, you know, it talks about how God sent a certificate of divorce to Israel. Right. But they don't continue to read, where he says, if you come back to me, I won't, I won't be angry with you, I won't right. forgive you. I, I believe there's still future promises for yep. Israel. I don't believe that the church... Like, the actual nation of Israel has no significance anymore. I right. believe God has a plan for Israel. And exactly. Because he talks about how he's going to draw his people back to him. 
So, 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 so in that sense, no, the church does not replace Israel in some sort of a permanent sense yeah, that, that Israel is done and now the church is the new Israel and, or even oppositely that the Israel is the church in the Old Testament. There, Israel has a place here and they will have a renewed place here. In the, in the meantime, as, as Dave, Daniel says, we're in the time of the Gentiles, right? Yes. Yeah, good question. Thank you. Good thoughts. Okay, well, I took you to 8.15, so uh, we, uh, we did the full hour. Sorry, you didn't get out early, but uh, we will, well, I say I won't see you next week, but uh, class will meet uh, next week as planned, and hopefully uh, Pastor Ken will be back. Thank you.